morning. Happy Thanksgiving Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? All right. I see some of you guys don't have the holy turkey or ham hangover. That's good to have you with us. Um, we're in between series. We'll start a new series next week. We just finished our series called Be Generous. And so uh, today, and I usually don't speak on Thanksgiving weekend, um, but I just feel like the Lord just had laid a message on my heart to share with, uh, with our church corporately. And so I'm excited about today's message. And if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Luke chapter 5. It's Luke chapter 5. How many of you have ever heard the saying, this morning's probably told you this, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game, right? How many of you have ever told you uh, in life it's not about winning, it's about having fun? All right. Those are noble statements, and I appreciate the adults who have tried to give us proper attitudes, but can I be honest with you? Winning's fun. <laughs> now, y'all are sheepishly laughing, but it's true, right? How many of you are, like, just loving, like, life and your team is terrible? Like, there's no, like, yeah, I'm just so happy my team's just doing terrible this year, unless you're, you know, tanking for Tua or tanking for Trevor, maybe that's your, your cause. But, but for the most part, winning's actually fun. Like, it's not fun to lose. And if you find, find it fun in losing, then you have a much better attitude uh, than I have in life. Well, recently, my son and I, you know, we're playing sports together, and I'm teaching him. But he doesn't really understand the concept of the sports. And so like baseball, we're playing baseball together. And he's not really just like getting the, the concept of bases yet and, and points and all that or football with, with you know, six points for one score. So here's what we've done. We're playing. And we're just playing. I'm just playing with him. I'm not trying to be competitive. I'm not trying to do that. I am competitive. I'm with him. I'm just, just playing. And he says, this is not fun. I was like, why not? What's going on? I can help you. He says, how do I know if I win? And I'm like, I mean, really, he's like, let's, okay, let's do this. And he's five years old. He's like, let's make this game up. The first one to 10 points wins. If you get a strike, you get a point. If I get hit, I get a point. And so now when we play anything we play, there's a scoring system involved with playing. Why is that? Because built into us is this idea that we want to know if we're winning or not, Right. We want to know what's going on. Well, I want to talk to you not just about your life and scoreboards and wins, but I want to talk to you about what is God's win for our lives and what is God's win for us as a church. Luke chapter 5, Luke is a doctor and he carefully researched Christianity. And so again, if you believe Christianity is one of these, uh, you know, fairy tale faith things, the Bible is just outdated and it's not a real book, it's actually a carefully researched document that Luke wrote. And he researched about Jesus' life. He wanted to find out about it. What's interesting about Luke, and we've said this before, is that he was the only non-Jewish writer in the New Testament that we know of. The only guy that was a non-Jew. So he was a, what they called a Gentile. And when Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, you kind of see this, this perspective of Jesus that he's the missional Jesus. He actually really, really cares about the lost, and he's really, really concerned about God valuing all people and things of that nature. Remember Luke 15, the prodigal son? Luke wrote that. The lost sheep, the lost coin, all those things. Well, in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus approach an individual that he wanted to say, come follow me as a rabbi. And Jesus, being a Jewish rabbi, would actually go, and this is what the Jewish rabbis did, they would go and choose their followers, the ones who come to study up under him. And now, I don't have the time to get into all of it, but all of Jesus' guys that he chose were guys that nobody else chose. Why, well, how do you know that? They were all doing something else. They weren't in rabbinical school or teaching or training, right? And what you're going to see here in Luke 5 is actually appalling to the religious community of that day. Appalling like sickening to their stomach what Jesus does. He approaches a guy named Matthew, Levi. 
Levi was a tax collector. Now, now that's this day and time, that's a government job, not, not too bad of a gig to have, right? It was just, you know, uh, taxes aren't that bad. Well, in that day and time, tax collectors actually cheated the poor on purpose. Tax collectors were some of the most hated people, especially in the Jewish community. You know why? They worked for the Roman Empire, and Jews did not like the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire ruled them. Matter of fact, Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, um, was called the place of garbage because when the Romans would come through, they would throw all their garbage in the streets so the Romans would have to walk through it. Kind of like a big, you know, like middle finger to them. Like, we don't like you, Rome. So Matthew is a Jew. Levi is a Jew, and he's working for the Roman government, and he's cheating his own people, and he's doing it with no conscience. I want you to look what happens here as we see Jesus inviting this guy to follow him. It says this in Luke 5, verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Now, remember this. Like, this is the guy, Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Just don't, don't, don't forget that, that part there. And it says this here. He says, many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But, and I want you to really pay attention to this, but... The Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. So Jesus is like, got this banquet going on. All these people far from God are hanging out. And here's what the religious leader does. Hey, what do you think about Jesus doing this? Tell me your thoughts on this. Go down trying to, you know, well, hey, 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 Peter, 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 come here, come here. Isn't this, I mean, this is is wrong. I mean, a, a, a real spiritual leader wouldn't do something like this. And he goes around just trying to, to pick and do that. And then look what he says here. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? That's what they asked Jesus. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those, uh, uh, excuse me, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. What happened there was Jesus invited these people together because he wanted to show them the true version of their faith, what it really looked like. He wanted to hang out with people far from God. He wanted to hang out with people who had said, you know what, I'm giving up on Christianity. But here's what the religious leaders do, and here's what will happen to us in our day and time. The Jewish religious leaders, though, judged Jesus according to their faulty scorecard. They said, Jesus, you're not winning because you're hanging out with scum. You're losing We're really the winners. And they thought in their life that, you know what? I'm winning if I'm away from those people who are sick. I'm away from those who are different than me. I'm away from those. And they said, if I'm isolated, I'm winning. Jesus said, if I can impact them, I'm winning. And here's the the point we have to understand. The The Jews had a scorecard and Jesus had a scorecard. The Jews had a scorecard, and Jesus had one. The Jews thought they were winning, but were they really winning in God's eyes? The answer is no, because Jesus come to show them this is the way our Heavenly Father wants it. And I want you to understand this today. If you're taking notes, this is what you have to do in life, and here's what we have to do as a church. It's all about winning. And here's your big idea. 
We must define the win in order to win. You've got to define the win in order to win. Now, let me break this down for your life as an individual first, and then we'll look at, uh, you know, more of a spiritual focus of it. But if you don't know if you're winning, you'll never know if you win. Does that make sense? There's no scoreboard. See, see, think about it. In, in marriage, you have to define the win. The reason couples lose, they never defined a win, and they never went for the win. Like my wife and I, we have a win. And the win is we have shared experiences in our life that are enjoyed where we get to travel and see things and experience things. We love to do that. We don't, and, and, and there's couples who are great couples that watch Netflix together. We don't watch Netflix together. We want to go out and go do things together, right? Now, we may watch Netflix apart on our own time, right, <laughs> and watch our own shows. But that's our win, and we know if we're winning, if we're getting out there, and we're get, just us two, nobody else, no other couples, not our son, and we are enjoying shared experiences. And parenting for us is something that, that was uh, you know, a brilliant thought by uh, a pastor named Andy Stanley, is that when you parent for the win, the win is this. It's not that your children, you have control over them, because that's an illusion, right? The win is not that you, um, you know, somehow can make them accept your version of your faith, because they may not. But the win in parenting is, is that your kids want to hang out with you all the time when they don't have to. They want to come home and be around you for Thanksgiving. They want to, they want to spend time with you. So for me, here's my win with my son. We have intentional, invested relationship. Intentional. I will not let the iPad raise him. I will not let a TV screen raise him. I'll not tell him to get away from me. I just need to be left alone right now because he doesn't understand that. I'll tell him, man, I'm exhausted, bro. Let me get a cup of coffee and we'll go at it. But I want that relationship. That spiritually, look at this spiritually. My win spiritually is not just reading the Bible. How much you read the Bible doesn't matter. How much you pray actually doesn't matter. That's what the Pharisees thought. My win spiritually is this. What am I doing with what I have just read Every time I read scripture, I have to ask the question, what must I do with this now? What must I change in my life now, now that I have read this in my life? And that's the win for me spiritually. See, you've got to define the win in life for, you, for yourself. But more than that, as a church and as followers of Jesus, we have to know what the win is. Why is that? Especially as a church, if you don't define your win in life, other people will try to define it for you. And that's what the Pharisees did. They went around saying, oh, Jesus, you're not really doing great. You know, they were, they were complaining and they were criticizing Jesus because they had a scoreboard that was wrong. And you've got to stop living by everybody else's scoreboard in life. You've got to stop letting everybody else tell you what the win is if you've defined your win. And listen to this. If you write this down because here's the key. The win for Jesus was much different than the win for the Jewish religious leaders. That's why he couldn't use their scorecard. The win for Jesus was that I am going to come and seek and save those who are lost. I've not come to call the righteous, but come to call sinners to repentance. See, like he said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick who need a doctor. The Pharisees had it all upside down. They thought if they isolated from those that they considered unholy, then they were doing God a favor and they were living a true spiritual life. If I don't hang out with, with the people who are different than me. See, Matthew cheated people, probably drank way too much. He lied. 
And Jesus called him and didn't say, okay, Matthew, here's the deal. Time out. I'm going to give you 90 days of probation to show me that you've totally changed your life. And then you can follow me. Matthew came as he was and he followed Jesus and Jesus transformed him along the way. My fear is I believe many of us think like the Pharisees. Let's just stay away from those who may vote differently than us. Let's stay away from those who may have language that's different than ours and they cuss way too much. Oh, let's just stay away from them. Oh, let's, let's, let's make sure that we're not around those people who don't believe God even exists. Because you know what? I've heard this. If, if you rub shoulders accidentally with them, or come, you'll you get that disease called atheism too. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's how we think, right? See, Jesus, he wanted to connect with people who were far from God, people who had given up on their version of that Jewish religious system and said, I just can't do it. It's too much. God doesn't care about me. And that was Jesus' focus. It was much different than the focus of the Jewish religious system. And let me tell you too, as a church, And as believers, we have to have the same scorecard that Jesus has. My number one battle has been, as a pastor, is helping people understand that the scorecard is not to keep Christians happy at this church. Man, it's got quiet in this church today. Even y'all online got, you stopped smacking on your donut and I could hear it online. (laughs) The win for this church It's not to cater to people who don't want to grow, who know much better at this point. The win of this church is not budgets. The win of this church is not how fancy and pretty our facilities can be, as you can tell. Don't you laugh at that. The win of this church is not to sing your song and give you goosebumps. The win of this church is the same as it was for Jesus in his time when he came to live on mission. It was people who have given up on a bad version of Christianity that that they were taught. They've given up on their faith. They walked away. They walked away and said, I want nothing to do with that if that's what it really is. The same thing was true for Jesus and the same thing is true for us. See, for me, this matters because I've told you before about my story of coming to know Christ. I walked into a church, and this is 1999 in the South. Like, you, 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 we ain't really in the South here in Richmond. You, you kind of like faux South, you, you know, you, you pseudo South. Like, because, you know, you don't really, I mean, I grew up in a town called Turkey with 300 people. Clinton, a town of 3,000. The nearest target was 45 minutes to an hour away. Some of you ladies like, oh. <laughs> the days before Amazon shipped everything. And I walked into this church in 1999. I had leopard print hair, and I was a skateboarder. And I came with a bunch of other skateboarders who just smoked pot all the time before church and would come to hang out to see if they, they said, they got some really cute girls at that Clinton church. Seriously, I'm being honest. And the youth pastor knew they were smoking pot and coming. He knew they were after girls. And he didn't go say, I need to talk with you. Come here for a second, guys. Don't you dare. No, 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 no. He didn't. And then one day, a bunch of pot-smoking skateboarders invited Kevin Borda to come to church with them. Because that church will let us come there. They actually let us skateboard there. And I went and I gave my life to Christ. And can I tell you this? That's, that's not even the, the good part. I didn't have a suit to wear at church. Everybody wore suits. Or the, you know, the really the rich kids had their polos tucked into their khakis and looked really, I didn't have any of that. And there were men in that church who did not look down on me. They took me under their wing 
and they made that their mission. They said, this guy is why we're here. And they fought people in that church who wanted me gone, who hated me. They called me Satan. I'm serious, to my face. Because my music sounded different than them, I dressed different than them, and I looked different than them, and I messed up their scorecard. Their scorecard was having a white church. I'm being honest with you. A white church, a full white church of rich people. And I tell you that because when there was an interracial couple there in 1999, one of the deacons came and said, Don't y'all, can't y'all find somewhere else to worship at? See, see, this matters to me as a church because I want you to understand something. You can find better entertainment somewhere else than Thrive Church. There are better preachers than I am. There's better music. There's better sound systems. There's better facilities. But our heart is this. I want the same scorecard that Jesus had that will continue, amen, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus, the most amazing message of the world. But here's what we have to do. If we're going to do that, here's what we have to do. And you need to write this down. You need to get it tattooed on you, whatever you got to do. We must continue. Excuse me, let me say this first. If we miss this, if we miss this, don't miss this part. If we miss this, then we will, we will have a win that is different than God's win for the kingdom as a church. You're going to celebrate things that God's not celebrating. So if we're going to do this, here's what we got to do. Write this down. Here's what we have to do. And here's your next step today. We must continue to act as fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. We must continue to act as fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 18. It says, one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out of them, and he said, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. They were being chosen by a rabbi now. They had worth. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a different mission that lines up with the mission of our Heavenly Father. See, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Uh, my son and I have fished recently, and we took worms. And can I tell you, he caught 10 fish in a catch and release pond. It was great. Like, he just couldn't. It was like, it was beautiful. So he really loved fishing, right? When I grew up, I had the plastic stuff, and we spent all day to catch two. Anybody like that? Anybody in the house, right? So the next time he wanted to go, mom, who has never really fished, got him a little bunch of little plastic lures. And we went out, and guess what? We didn't catch a thing. The next time we went, I, um, you know, I didn't have worms with me, so I bought, brought bread. And the fish just ate it off the hook, and they kept going. And, and he was extremely bored with fishing. And I said, i got to get worms, because he understood something about fishing that we don't understand about the church. The point of fishing is not how pretty your rod and reel is. The point of fishing is, at the end of the day, is not how cool your bait is. The result of fishing that we're all looking for is to catch some fish. Right? One person, the problem with the modern day church in America is we're just keepers of the aquarium and we're okay with it. We're okay with not being fishers of men and that's not okay with God. Do you understand that it, right now there's about 80 to 85% of churches in America that are plateaued or they're declining in attendance every year? Of the churches that are growing, and check this out, which are around 10% maybe we're, we're thinking with some of the studies, 
94% are not keeping up with the growth of their communities. That means their community is growing faster than the church is growing. The churches are growing. It means we're, we're losing at being fishers of men. We're not catching fish. And I want us to understand as a church and as you as individual believers, that's your mandate is to be fishers of men. I don't care how pretty your aquarium is. When we stand before Jesus one day, he's not like, man, you had an awesome aquarium. That was so cool. He wants to know, were you catching fish for me? Were you sharing the message of the gospel of people in a, in a, in a very loving way, in a, in a tactful way? He wants to know, were you doing that? So here's what we have to do, and we have to understand that there, there's three thoughts I have about this, if you're going to be fishers of men. Number one is this. You can write this down. You, you got to know what the real loss is. Know what the real loss is. I think so many times we think the loss is if Johnny and Susie end up choosing another church. If Johnny and Susie follow Jesus, and they like a program at another church better, or there's a better preacher, or better music, or a better small group, or women's group, or men, if, if that's the case, we don't lose, do we? Do we lose? No. Why? Because we're going to spend eternity in heaven with them, whether we like them or not. <laughs> that was comforting and not comforting, right? <laughs> the real loss is if somebody doesn't choose Christ. When somebody has given up on a bad version of Christianity, when they were rejecting a bad version that we have sold them of Christianity, and they give up on that, and they choose to live life without Christ, and then they choose to want to live eternity without Christ. People choose that. That's where we lose that, and you've got to know what the real loss is. And we have to know what the real loss is as individuals. When Keith's putting these yard signs out and invite, invite cards, guys, let me tell you, the win is, is that somebody who is struggling, who have given up, who's never believed, says, I think I'm going to give God one last chance. I think I'm going to try this out on that day. I think I'll come and sit with you that day. That's what the win is. The loss is not when somebody else chooses to go sit and be entertained somewhere else or even get plugged in somewhere else. That's not my loss, y'all. And that's not the loss of the kingdom. Here's the the second thing that we have to understand. It sounds so simple, but it's so true. We should have friends that are non-believers. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. Now, I don't mean friends that, that, you know, that you, you, oh man, I I, I just go hang out just for the sake of hanging out. But here's the sad thing about the church. When I got saved, here's what happened though. I was told to get rid of all my non-Christian friends, which, which for a season, I needed a little bit of separation, right? Because I had, you know, had, I, I mean, we were partying pretty hard, and I needed that separation to help me. But here's the problem with most believers. They don't have any non-believing friends. They have nobody who's different than they are. They all hang around the same people who believe the same thing, the same values, and, and, and they got to understand that the, the win is when we have non-believing friends that we're praying for, that we're asking God to reveal the gospel to them, that we're living on mission to them. And I don't mean every time you open the mouth like you're being this cheesy Christian. Don't be that, right? They're like, I'm hungry. It's like, oh, I'm hungry for the Lord, you know? No, it's, it's being patient. It's being patient. It's being prayerful. It's living intentionally to want to bring them to Christ. And I was told, don't have any Christian friends. Get rid of them all. And then when they had revival twice a year, I was told to bring all your non-Christian friends. I'm like, but pastor, I don't have any non-Christian friends. (laughs) 
And, and the, the thing is, uh, hear me, please. We treat lost people, people who are unchurched, like projects. Like, 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 like they're a project. We call them souls for the harvest, hallelujah. No, they're, they're individuals with needs, with hurts, with doubts that God deeply cares for. Don't just go show up and feed hot dogs at a park to people like they're animals at a zoo and think you got non-believing friends. Find people who are far from God and you build a friendship with them based solely on the fact that God values them and you value them and then you let God do the rest as you pray and you will see God do something in their life. The goal is not how many Christians you're surrounded with, but I wonder wonder how many non-Christians you're surrounded with because you are the light of the world. And here's the final thing we've got to know on Thanksgiving weekend. I want to share this with you. You have to understand this. Our church must continue to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. Why do we do a big Christmas day like this? It's not for y'all. Have you got that yet? Why are you doing a thing with Santa? I just asked Satan Claus. I mean, yeah, that's, that's your opinion. But here's, no, no, but here's the opinion. Non-Christian people have something to be invited to that they'll come to. They don't want to come to your church because you've been so mean to them your whole life. Why are we doing a snow machine? Why are we doing the things we do? Because we want to be a church where you can invite your unchurched co-workers and guess what, and your unchurched family, and, and they're going to be okay coming. And they're going to learn. They can kick the tires of Christianity and try to figure this thing out. And they're going to be in a non-judgmental environment where they can learn to follow Jesus. And our church has got to continue to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. That's why we do what we do, guys. I don't care. Listen, listen, I, I don't care if you don't like the music. I'm getting older, and I keep getting younger staff and younger people on stage. Let them pick it because they're going to reach a younger generation. Hopefully that generation doesn't give up on church. I'm not doing it for you. I'm not doing it to give you goosebumps. I'm not doing that for you. We're not doing it for you. We're not a jukebox. I don't really like how they do it. I don't care if you don't like the light. I don't care because we are not here to cater to Christians. We're living on mission to be a missionary outpost so people far from God can come to be reached with the gospel of Jesus. I just, let me make that clear for you. We want to be a church where unchurched people love to attend. They come and they get to hear the gospel message, be surrounded by Christians who love them, but also will challenge them to grow. See, in 1 Corinthians 14, it's a kind of a weird passage and a weird, you know, whole, the whole thing's kind of strange because Paul's making all this to do about tongues, right? And that's one of the craziest, scariest things about church people, tongues, right, tongues. But, but I want you to look beyond that for a second. In 1 Corinthians 14, here's what Paul says to that church. Because that church had become a church that churchy people love to do church things at and that churchy people love to attend. Here's what he says. He says, even so, if unbelievers, unbelievers, or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they're going to think you're crazy. Well, if the Holy Spirit's involved, no, no, no. Paul says, listen, when you live your life and when you have a church, you need to keep people that are far from God in mind. Because every Sunday, and I say this, every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday at Thrive. And on any given Sunday, they're giving God one last chance. That's why we exist, guys. I mean, God didn't send my wife and I here eight and a half years ago because they need another church in Chesterfield, right? 
Have you counted the number of churches in, in Chesterfield County, Richmond City? I believe that if we stay focused on not being keepers of the aquarium but fishers of men, then God's blessing will continue to stand on this church. For one is greater than the 99. We have a saying, guests matter more than me. And we're going to continue to be a church that reaches the next generation and a church that reaches the unchurched and the de-churched here. I, I, I want everybody watching online, everybody in this place today, to understand that is what Thrive Church is, and that's who we'll continue to be. And I want you, listen, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus in here today, I want to empower you to be able to be missionaries in your world. December and Christmas are two of the top times people will come to try out a church because it's kind of the high holy days of our, our country. Christmas and Easter. We call them CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. And every year we get to see people who never come to church. We're building the message that day just not just for you, but also for them as well. Keep in mind, God wants to use you to be a fisher of people, to help somebody have the greatest message ever impact their life. And that's why this church on Sundays, pre-COVID, man, we'd hug, man, we'd give you hugs and high-five you. Introverts, you'd be going crazy. We can't do it now because we know there are people here who have given up on their faith. And they're just saying, I, I want to give God one more chance. This morning, if you will, pray with me. Father, thank you for sending Jesus that we could be saved. We could be filled with your Holy Spirit. We could be able to live for you. God, help each one of us live to be fishers of men, to answer the same call that you gave 2,000 years ago, Jesus. Help us to live on mission, to live on purpose. And God, let us never become a church that is so inwardly focused that we begin to lose the ability and the favor to reach people. And Father, I pray for every person in this place today that you would show them unique opportunities to share the love of Jesus, the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to people around them. Help them do that, God. Empower them by your Holy Spirit. And Father, help us remain faithful to the mission which you have called the church, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving us and redeeming us in here that have begun to follow you. And maybe today you're listening or watching online and maybe you walked away from a bad version of Christianity. Maybe you walked away from your faith. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ and you know, I want to do that. I want to, I hear his call. He's telling me today, come and follow me, and I'm going to make your life something you never thought it would be. Jesus is speaking to people's hearts today. That may be you in here. Maybe you watching online right now where you're at. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith. You say, God, forgive me of my sins. I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I can't save myself. But I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe he's the only way to heaven. And today I choose to follow Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he literally resurrected on the third day. God, thank you 
for choosing me to follow you. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Every week people make that decision. And what do we do? Because heaven rejoices when that happens. Let's rejoice with heaven. Let's put our hands together for everybody who made that decision today. And I want to tell you, coming up next week's a brand new series called The Christmas Story. And if you will, check out our promo video.